college football playoff selection committee put out its first rankings and all eyes are on Tuscaloosa because that matters so much to Oregon and Utah. What is going on at USC? Do they have an athletic director or don't they? And how does Urban Meyer factor into that? Mike Leach might be leaving the Pac-12. What the hell is going on with Washington? Is Chris Peterson really that great of a coach? We're going to break down all the games as well. I'm George Reister with Ralph Amston, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Ralph, all eyes are on Tuscaloosa this weekend. LSU travels to go to play Alabama. It's a totally different conference. You got a number two versus number three from the college football playoff. And the way it shakes out, it looks like the winner of that game greatly affects the Pac-12. Because if LSU who has a better schedule than Alabama wins, then all the path is clear for the Pac-12. But if Alabama wins, you know the conversation for two SEC teams is going to get real strong. Well, I think that, I mean, at, that we go through this every single year. Um, and then the hard part is you've seen LSU play and so have I. And I don't think that it's completely unfair to have that conversation based on, you know, what LSU brings to the table. But if you are part of any other conference, you have to be absolutely sick of that. Uh, I think that, you know, you must have been in your boy Mario Cristobal's ear because this week he came out and advocated for the Pac-12's top teams to be treated as, you know, the SEC's top teams, you know, in the eyes of anybody. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a danger for uh, an LSU team uh, or an Alabama team to be taken over Oregon, even if they're not the conference champion. I think that, I mean, we've lived this. We know that that's true. Yeah, Alabama wasn't the conference champion and then went on to go win the college football playoff. So the committee has to decide what is more important because schedules have to matter. They have to. And that's why it's imperative that LSU wins because Alabama's schedule is garbage. And any talk or any conversation of them getting in has to be gone. So right, so right now, if you missed it, you the... Pac-12, I'm sorry, the college football power rankings look a lot like my college football top 10 as it should be. I gave you guys that earlier in, in the week, but here is the college. Uh, you guys can go visit, look at that at unafraidshow.com. comes out every Sunday morning. And you guys, this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Make sure you guys share the feed, like the feed, tell a friend about the Pac-12 Apostles. So the college football playoff rankings from the committee has Ohio State 1, same way I have it, LSU 2, and then they have Bama 3 and Penn State 4. Clemson 5, Georgia 6, Oregon 7, Utah 8, Oklahoma 9, Florida with two losses at number 10. And interestingly enough, they have Baylor, who's undefeated at number 12, and Minnesota, who's undefeated at number 8. And the the two changes that I would make into what the committee did is I would flip Alabama and Penn State because Alabama has no quality wins. Penn State has beaten Iowa and Michigan, but they're still ranked ahead of them, confusing to me. And then Georgia who lost to South Carolina being ahead of Oregon. I'm not feeling that either. 
Yeah, and you think this the selection committee definitely, definitely takes into account the rankings. They have to, right? I mean, uh, otherwise, why have Alabama as high as they have them? Um, you know, maybe it's just reputation or whatever, but, uh, you know, preseason rankings shouldn't be playing a role in something that happens two months down the road and is supposed to be independent um, from the rankings altogether. Um, See, it was very independent for Clemson. It was very independent for Clemson because Clemson hasn't played anybody and they're they're sitting at number five, but it's not quite as independent for Alabama. Yeah. Uh, I see that, uh, we, you know, talking about Mario Christ's comments, it was John Canzano that he talked with this week. I think he did a, a short uh, podcast and he said that, you know, they come in ranked number seven. He's got to address it with the team um, because, uh, you know, uh, the old school idea of not paying attention to it in the world, it doesn't really work like that. He's out of your mind that you have to acknowledge it with the team. So if you're Mario Cristobal and you're telling your players, you know, and they, they, they look at what they've done and their body of work, they don't feel like they should be number seven. What do you tell the players to help keep their eye on the ball? Oh, I tell them. You I, just paint that like us against the world type thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm playing that up and I'm saying, look, we got to go out there and continue to earn the respect that we deserve. And you guys know what that means. <laughs> that means we got to come out here. That means you got to play harder, play your assignments better, because that's how we've gotten there is assignment football. We have been, and the truth be told, it is going to work out for us. If we handle our business, blow the doors off of people like we're supposed to, continue to be dominant, then we are going to, because, uh, because Georgia's going to have to play the, the winner of LSU-Alabama. And Georgia might lose to Alabama, Auburn as well. So don't worry about the SEC thing. And then also don't worry about the Big 12, I'm sorry, the Big 10 thing. And Clemson, Clemson is probably going undefeated. So you don't have to, so they're going to have a playoff spot locked, locked up. Just handle your business. Handle your business and you will get in. That that's what I would tell the team. Just focus on your one game. If you can focus on one game four times, your you got Arizona, Arizona State, and Oregon State. Focus on those three games one time, <laughs> and then win the Pac-12 championship one time. You will be sitting in the top four. That is the that's the same message I would have if I were Mario Cristobal or if I were Kyle Whittingham. The same exact message. Just do not break, do not get your head up. Do not listen to the noise. Don't drink the rat poison. Just go handle your business the way you don't get tripped up in the process and hurt your own self trying to worry about something else. And they only they only travel one more time, right? And that's to come to Arizona State, which could be dangerous. Utah only travels one more time, and that's to come down to Arizona, and that should not be. Uh, dangerous, but they do have a home game, you know, against UCLA that could be. And there are teams out there. There are teams out there that are behind. Uh, <laughs> there are teams out there that are behind Oregon and Utah that are hoping that they slip up so that they might be able to get back into the conversation. And you know, Notre Dame is is one of those teams. Uh, there's an article on NBC Sports that said that Notre Dame has a Pac-12 problem. That, that any hope whatsoever of them, you know, and it's a really outside shot of, of clawing their way back into the conversation is going to take the Pac-12 
finding some way to screw up in both the North and South divisions. I'm not sure that I see that happening, but you never know with this conference. Oh, there's there's no there's no path for Notre Dame. They're sitting at number 15 right now behind Michigan, Wisconsin, and they don't have a conference championship. And they're behind two lost Florida and Auburn too. Yeah, forget about it. They highest they can climb is about eight. <laughs> like if everybody screws screws up, still, uh, you know, they still lost to Georgia, and they lost to Michigan. Yeah, there there's no way that they climb up too much higher. Um, but but that LSU Alabama game is going to be critical for Utah and for Oregon handle your your business and also get a little help from LSU who who should win the game as well um USC has a problem Ralph everybody thought that that Mike Bone athletic director from Cincinnati who used to be at Colorado it, it was a done deal it was a done deal he was going to be USC's New athletic director might be announced even this weekend. Everybody was saying it's his first order of business going to be to fire Clay, Clay Helton. Uh, who's going to hire as new head coach? Arash Markazi. Everybody putting out that USC is going to do whatever they can. Anything they need to to hire Urban Meyer. Uh, but Carol, Carol, uh, Carol Holt, the new Athletic, um, the new president apparently has kiboshed Urban Meyer, said he cannot be hired, and now Mike Bone might be backing out of the deal. This is so USC that it hurts, Ralph. Yeah, um, uh, I think what this report came from uh, Inside USC, which is Scott Wolf, uh, and I and I don't really know what to think of it because first of all, Scott Wolf has been covering USC forever. He's got a bunch of sources. Um, but at the same time, Scott Wolf's whole MO is that he's sort of an outsider for the current, you know, administration of coaches there at USC. He openly hates them. He's got, you know, he's got a very, very specific agenda, and that's to twist the knife anytime there's anything that could be embarrassing to the university in any way. Um, and so when this story came out and it was Scott Wolf that was writing it, it was like, all right, well, it's either definitely accurate because he's been around the program a long time, um, or it's just another way of him trying to make USC look ridiculous, which is working because USC looks completely incompetent right now. Um, that they might, you know, that they would talk with someone about taking a job, but they wouldn't understand what the non-starters are for that person, uh, and that the most you know, loudly whispered rumor in all of college football in USC was something that wasn't a possibility, would have been something that was great going into that initial conversation in the first place. So um, I, I'm, I'm definitely taking this report with a grain of salt, although it sounds very much like a USC thing, um, just because I know how adversarial Scott Wolf and USC's relationship is, which is just another USC thing, that they've got these reporters that are that, that are openly trying to chip away um, at the program who probably believe that they're doing a, a you know, a, a good thing. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I don't know. It, it, this is happening so loudly and so open and so out in the public. And it's not like Carol Holt can just come out and say, well, no, actually I'd be fine with hiring urban Meyer because they have a coach in place right now in Clay Helton. Um, 
having all these rumors about who you're going to bring in next as your head coach when you don't even have an AD in place, this is just nuts. Like, I can't, I cannot believe any of this is even allowed to go on, and there's nobody even to come out and give Clay Helton the vote of confidence. Not that I'm sure they would anyway, um, but you need somebody. Who's going to give Clay Helton a vote? Dude, if USC gave Clay Helton a vote of, the vote yeah. of confidence, everybody would think it was ABS, or they would say, or they would say, hold up, hold up, we have crazy people around here. I mean, it, you can't fire a coach without an athletic director because the athletic director has to hire the new coach. He's got to put an interim coach in place because the whole reason why you hire an athletic director is to find coaches, is to make sure the programs are going in the right direction. So you can't have him inherit coaches, especially when those coaches nobody wants. When attendance is down, confidence is super low, because I have two rules for firing a coach. Number one, at the end of every season, every coach needs to be reevaluated. Whether you went undefeated and won a national championship or whether you went defeated and lost every single game. Every coach needs to be evaluated. And the first question that you need to ask is, is there a coach that I can guarantee get that is better than the coach that I have now? So, prime prime example, you have um, Lincoln Riley at at Oklahoma. Great coach, nobody would complain. But if Oklahoma could yeah, get probably. Nick Saban, would you would you fire Lincoln Riley? If Nick Saban was like, "Yo, I'm coming, and I will sign a a ten year can't leave under any circumstances contract." Exactly. So. <laughs> That's the first rule. And then the second rule is, is there a loss of hope? Can this dude go into the homes of 17 to 19-year-old kids with these holdbacks and JUCO transfers and sell them on the fact that the future is brighter than the past? So in USC situation, Ralph, how do you answer those two questions? I mean, he's he's probably got to go. Why can't Carol Holt just fire him? Why can't they have a vacant, an open spot for an athletic director to just come in and fill? Why do they have to wait to make the firing? Because when I said vote of confidence, I, what I basically mean is to at least have somebody come out and say, like, hey, we're going to do whatever we do. We're going to do it at the end of the season. So everybody just shut up for a second. Yeah, but then but then you get into a situation. I mean, it's, it's just like Florida Florida State. They fire Willie Taggart now. And you're sitting there saying, okay, but why? I mean, especially with the early with the early signing period in college in college football now, in December, you fire a head coach, and now who the hell are you gonna hire besides somebody who is unemployed at this point in time? Like Bob Stoops. Yeah. And because they, they said they want the coaching search to be quick. So who the hell are you going to get? Because all of the teams that you may be able to poach from, like Penn State, maybe James James Franklin, you might be able to poach maybe if you tried to offer Cal Whittingham the job. I don't think he's up for it, but I'm just saying. Uh, if you were trying to offer uh, Matt Rule at Baylor the job, his team is undefeated. Do you think he's leaving in the middle of the season? Like, 
coaches right. see how this worked out for Willie Dagger? <laughs> they're about like, to name drop him. Yep. Yeah, they're like, oh, m- maybe leaving in the middle of the season is a bad look because it doesn't buy you any goodwill anywhere. Yeah. I, I, will, I will say this, that that if you if this is truly what's going on right now, if USC is in open negotiations with Mike Bone and he's hesitating, you have to have a backup plan. And the moment that Mike Bone's like, well, I don't know, then you'd be like, all right, then enjoy your skyline chili, hang up the phone on him, pick up the phone, call your number two choice and lock it in. Yep. My dad always says, go be with the woman who loves you, not the woman who likes you. So, so Mike, Mike Bone does not love USC. He likes USC. Because he he's saying, you know what? Mm, it maybe it's Urban Meyer or maybe it's death. Because if he's backing out, if he's waffling already on this thing, if if you if Urban Meyer is the is the make or break, yeah, or some certain coaches are off limits. Because if you're USC, I don't think you can afford to hire Urban Meyer. His checkered past. First of all, and USC's checkered past. They're they're still fighting to get Reggie Bush back on campus. They are under investigation for the basketball scandal. They can't handle anything else. Like they can't bring in anybody but somebody squeaky clean right now, Ralph. Uh, I'm going to give you an insane scenario and you tell me of like just how off the reservation I am. Give the job to Clay Helton. Yeah. You don't want him coaching the football team, right? You don't want him coaching the football team. Everybody knows he's a... Everybody loves him as a person. Um, They just think that he's incompetent as as a football coach. He knows he's been around USC... So, like, he's part of the no, culture. No, that's the last thing they want. Oh, no, never mind. Sorry. Let me let me let you finish this. Madness. I get you. I get yeah. you. I get you. Right. They don't want somebody who is part of the family. But I mean, what was he to USC before being an assistant coach? What if you moved him into admin, in, in an administrative role? Maybe you didn't even put him in charge of the football hire because he's too close to it. But like, you can, that way you can just get him out of that spot right now and begin a coaching search and use consultants. So. Or something. Because so why put him in in that role? You're trying to lend Swan the deal. They they do not want another former athlete. They don't want another. They don't want anybody. Uh, how they how they say who knows the fight song already? They want somebody who need. They need to hand him the paper and be like, oh yo, you got 48 hours to learn this <laughs> because it because it matters. Mm. They don't want that, and I don't blame them. I wouldn't hire anybody with USC ties besides an uncle's cousin's niece who went there. That's it. It's a do bad you, move. And do you think there's anybody bad... in the conference that they should try to poach as an athletic director? I mean, Rob 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 Mullins at Oregon. I mean, that's really about it. I think right. Who who else? Is, well. God, this is no, a, I, I, I know it's a, you know the Clay Helton thing's not a good idea. Well, I'm just, I'm I'm spitballing because it's just such a terrible situation to need for a coach and to not have an AD and then to not be able to get an AD based on the coach that they would like the opportunity to try to hire 
Meanwhile, like you've got Clay Helton just sitting there in this lame duck position, knowing that he's going to get canned by whoever comes in next. Like, how awkward is that meeting going to be? Because unless the very first meeting that you have well, with the they, AD is them firing you, that first meeting is going to be complete bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it is. Right. Oh, hey, hey, how are you? How are things with the program? Yeah, yeah, I'm just right. waiting to fire you. I'm just letting you know. Um, yeah. Dude, they they went like a whole year without a president. So, <laughs> so you know <laughs> who couldn't then fire. So then they couldn't get rid of Lynn Swan, who they wanted to get rid of. Now Lynn Swan is gone, so they can't get rid of Clay Helton. USC recruiting, like we talked about a few shows ago, is way down, like number 64 in the <clears throat> in the nation. That's not going to work. That's not very USC-like. But um, also in the conference, you got Mike Leach. Rumors are circling, circling around Mike Leach. Maybe in consideration for the Florida State job. I hate this for Washington State, but love this for Florida State. I would love to see what Mike Leach could do with four and five star talent. I don't know if he can recruit Florida because he's a little brash and abrasive. I don't know if them Florida Florida boys are a different breed. If they're going to feel Mike Leach's style. But if he can recruit down there, imagine him being able to throw to, you know, having the Calvin Benjamins, the, uh, you know, the uh, the Asante Samuels kids, the, you know, all these big time athletes where he was playing with two and three stars at Washington State and him playing running this offense with four and five stars. That would be sick. Or Or imagine him at USC. I mean, it's just like imagining him at USC with those wide receivers. That would be crazy. I mean, I know what you mean when you say crazy. um, But I also will take the other connotation of the literal connotation of crazy as well. I mean, there would be some absolute insanity um, in either situation. Sometimes I think that Pullman's the perfect place for him because he can be himself. And for the most part, there's not really... There's not really an issue, you know. I was laughing at the idea of him going down to uh, Tallahassee and making fun of the homeless. <laughs> like, what is he going to do when he's out there, when he has the opportunity to say some dumb stuff and he's never been held accountable for it, you know, before, and then he does it in a major market like that, you know? Um, when he makes fun of like the, the cuisine in Louisiana or just like whatever is, if he just says whatever's on his mind, you know, how is the S how's the SEC going to handle Mike Leach? I think that that would be very, very interesting to watch. I don't love the idea of him at USC. I'm not sure that will change um, how their recruiting has been going. Uh, He's never really shown that he can recruit at a super high level. He mostly just, you know, he, he his whole thing is about exploiting holes in defensive philosophy and things like that. Uh, and yeah, it, the, the theory is he could do it better with more talented players. Um, but, you know, what about what, I, what can he get those players there in the first place? Because you would figure USC just recruits itself, but that hasn't been happening. Um so and and then there's this other part of me that thinks like you know what USC needs more than anything in the world is just like some some real credibility 
with California kids. Like they, they need somebody that they see themselves in. They need somebody that they can relate to. They need somebody that understands where they come from. Um, like they need, uh, they, they need somebody who's not going to make fun of the, the, the litter and homeless problem on the streets, you know? Uh, and so gosh, you know, if, yeah. if, if he yeah. didn't just have two years, uh, experience as a position coach, you know, they need somebody like Antonio Pierce at USC, someone from the Inland Empire who will recruit the living hell out of California, you know. Um, but I, I think it's probably too early for for something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I I I get it. I get I get the appeal of a Mike Leach. I just think that in Pullman he can get away with being himself. Anywhere else, I'm not sure that's possible. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can, I can see that. I, I can see why it would be much, much tougher for him to for the act to play somewhere else. Like, does the act travel on on the road? That would be the question because there are only certain places that you can get away with that. Maybe he could at Kansas State too. It's got to be a very, very small town, probably. Um. Another coach before we even get into the games is Mike. I'm sorry, uh, Chris Peterson. So I troll message boards. I troll Reddit boards, message boards, Facebook groups of all the teams in the conference. And I am constantly reading comments, what fans have to say. And fans are like, there's a lot of people who are showing a lot of discontent with Chris Peterson. At Washington. I think Chris Peterson is a great coach. But here are some stats for you. Since he's been at Washington, he's two and four against Oregon, two and four against Stanford, one and four in bowl games. Zero times have they been ranked the highest Pac 12 team at the end of the season. Rutgers and Illinois are the only non conference Power Five teams that he's beaten. And he's lost two in a row to Cal. I was shocked when I saw this because my perception of him and the results are two are in two separate stratospheres, Ralph. That to me, I was very surprised as well. Um, and so ultimately the point you're getting at is that there are Washington fans who feel like they're being red-pilled on Chris Peterson and that they might be able to do better. Right. That's the ultimate point here. And I still yep. feel like I want to vehemently disagree. Um, yeah, I do. I do. I do, too. I don't know who they get. That's for sure. Better. Right. I mean, what the, the them being competitive and in the mix every year right now, um, their best talent season being a year that they went six and six. If I'm not mistaken, they had like three or four first round picks that year. Like they they have a reputation right now amongst recruit. They have a it doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters to these kids. None of it. Yeah, they are recruiting yeah. like crazy uh, all over the place. I I don't. I still look at them as the team that went zero and twelve. Every How? Se- because they went zero and twelve. I'm never gonna forget that. Never. Imagine and <laughs> to imagine anybody in the Pac-12 going, oh, like if, or I'm, I'm telling you right now, 
if Jonathan if Jonathan Smith turns Oregon State into a team that is in the top 25 for five or six straight years, and at the end of that sixth year, you go on message boards and people are like, yeah, but he's two and four against Stanford, but he has a hard time winning on the road in Arizona, but their best out of conference wins are Illinois, uh, Rutgers or whatever, five or six years from now, I'm still going to be like, yeah, but but they won like an average of three games a season over a four-year span. Yeah, like but it's see, still, I, the, and, the so expectations, I'm, though, are different at Oregon State than Washington, though. But that's why, because why, of Washington Chris Pearson. Had, Chris Pearson elevated true. those expectations. That's what I'm trying – that's all that I'm trying to point out is that, like, you're expecting a guy to do better when he's the one that set the bar. So what gives you the right what gives you the right to expect anything more from the person who raised your expectations? And that was the so that was the thing of Arizona State firing Todd Graham, right? Is uh you know Todd Graham went to five bowl games in 6 years when Dennis Erickson had had like one winning season in his 5 years of the program and then all of a sudden you know, Ray Anderson, the athletic director, is like, we, we got to get, you know, more competitively consistent. We got to do better. And, and and just my immediate thought was like, but he set that standard. He did. So what are you talking about? And yeah, here Arizona in- State is, you know, back to being semi, um, semi-mediocre. The future's bright down here. But, like, it, it just – it's one of those things where it's like, okay – you're going to victimize coaches for for building for for taking you part of the way and i get that right it's a tale as old as time it's biblical you know moses's people wandered the desert and moses never got to see the pro- promised land it was his brother that took him there right so that's it, that's a tale as old as time like you have some people who can take you part of the way and then you have to have somebody else take you the rest of the way Correct. I, I, I get that. But I don't know if that can happen at Washington because in my mind, they are still that team that was just, you know, they, they obviously they had their era and then it went away. And now Chris Peterson is there and they're they're competitive in every game. They're they're consistently talented. Uh, they've got first round picks every single year. They're recruiting really, really well. Um, they've played in a you know, in, in, I don't know. I, I I can't make a better case than uh, obviously these Reddit posts make a very compelling argument. But who's going to go in and do better? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I w- I would totally agree. I think that they would be in a situation. Well, the only <laughs> the person who would come in and take that job in a heartbeat is came from the same place that that Chris Peterson left. That's Brian Harson at Boise state. Oh man. <laughs> they would, I mean, think, think about who would take that uh, either him or you could probably poach Justin Wilcox from, from Cal. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, yeah, you, he'd have to have some dynamic people underneath him as far as, a staff, I feel like he'd he'd be very similar. Um, he's got a little bit less personality, and I think part of why they recruit so well is he's just got a staff filled with people who kind of supplement his personality. Um, 
but yeah, I mean that that's very possible. That that would be, and then what would Cal do? They just trade. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that would be. Oh yeah, yeah. Instead of firing coach, just just trade them to send send the salaries, all of that. Um, the last thing is very a, a very serious thing going on in the pack 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 twelve. Uh, John Wilner wrote wrote an article, so everybody's been talking about Pac twelve expansion. Pac twelve expansion, and um, you know about bringing in Boise State, other teams out of the Mountain West Conference, or the um, or the other comp- conferences around. But truth be told, what's actually going on is is you're looking at a situation to where the Pac-12 may actually be retracting because these conferences only got bigger because of TV deals. The TV deals needed more inventory. They needed more games for the ACC network, Pac-12 network, SEC network, all of this. They needed more teams for them. So the conferences got bigger. So now... Really, what they want to do is create better content and really creating one super conference or two super conferences, almost like an NFL model. So imagine this, taking the top, whoever they deem the top 30 teams. So you would probably, out of the SEC, you would get the five teams that are ranked right now. You would get Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, Florida, and Alabama. Oh, and wait, no, LSU, well, Alabama, LSU, Florida, Georgia, and Auburn. That's who you would probably get out of there. Then out of the uh, ACC, you would get Clemson, Florida State, Miami, and maybe one other team. Out of the Big 12, you could get, you know, Texas, Texas A&M, who's got more money than anybody, really, and who, who, who would buy their buy their way in. And you would get Oklahoma, obviously. So the it trickled all the way down to the to the other conferences, and people were saying, "Okay, who could get in this from the Pac-12? What teams would be move the needle enough that you would have thirty teams or so, and in one conference or two conferences that would play each other every single week?" And they they speculated in the art, article about that USC would get in. Obviously, they are the most storied team in the Pac-12. Who else could get in? Name brand team, big name team, basketball history, UCLA. And then from there, the most popular, one of the most popular teams in the country amongst recruits and all this stuff, you got Oregon. So they would probably get in as well. And then Washington could could get in, and then the Pac-12 would retract down to eight teams. Or you... Or even if all those teams didn't get in, who do you think would be on the outside looking in, Ralph? I don't know. This all sounds like Premier League sense to me. Or that or that, you know, Premier team would be defined as the amount of money that you get in your next apparel deal, like what your brand equity is. Um gosh, I, I don't know. Because the way that the pack is now, you know. It, conference of champions right <laughs> um you have you have schools that are sort of the cornerstone of this conference that if you're mostly a football fan you'd be confused about like oregon state is one of the most influential schools in this conference as far as the president has the power that the, the athlete has 
And a lot of it's just the, the fact that, you know, they're women's basketball, baseball, basketball, other sports, they're very competitive in those things. Um, so uh, would this be completely football driven, I guess, is my question, because if that's the case, then, you know, it's going to be so they're definitely part of it. And, you know, if, if, it's, if it's just sports in general, you know, then you have teams like Stanford who, you know, win championships in sports that I've never witnessed live. <laughs> and uh, yes. Right. Yeah. And so I, I'm not, I'm not sure. I think this whole concept is so foreign to me that I, I wouldn't really know what to Water say. This would be one of those things that I was resistant and, and to just because I didn't and, understand you know, it. Things it like could that. even be a better idea, but it's, I'm, it leaves me in that, you know, Michael Scott from the office position of saying, like, why don't you accept me like that? Because I, I'm just not sure how necessary it is. I'm not sure how necessary conferences are ultimately going to be when everyone is going to have the ability to broadcast on their own. You know, if you take if you take the the income that comes at your school and you invest that in building your own cast department and you decide that you want to stream your games on Facebook the way that Hawaii does, what's to stop you from then just ultimately being independent and not having to share revenue with with anybody? Yeah, I, I think it'd be tough, man. I, I think that it would be tough to narrow it down, but obviously brand matters. And and if you were to retract would they retract just for football? Would they retract for what, whatever? Because there would be so much more money available for those teams if it were just those teams. I mean, that's... Do you think there should be more of that? Do you think that there should be more of of conference-specific, sports-specific affiliation? So, like, I'm in the Pac-12 for this sport, but I'm in the Mountain West for this uh, sport. Do you think there should be more I of that? I think that would make things more competitive. For sure, but I but but the confusion in it would get would get crazy, especially when it comes to generating revenue, who's in, who's out, you know, who makes the playoffs, who doesn't. I mean, you're you're getting a situ- situation where uh, conferences would then want to relegate teams who are not <laughs> producing, who are not earners, because at the end of the day, you have to earn your keep in conferences. That's the entire point. But you could do that. Um, I mean, you could have, let's say you took the Mountain West and maybe brought the WAC back or something like that. Top WAC team moves into the West. Top West team moves into the Pac-12. And you drop the bottom out of, you know, your your 2-12 and 12 football team. And they, they, they have a year to go down to the Mountain West and see if they can claw their way back in. That would add some intrigue to it. But obviously then, you know, the amount of funding that you know, those teams would be in the out of the bottom of the Pac-12 would never agree to it because it would affect the thing that matters most, which is the money that comes in. Oh, for sure. For sure. I 100% agree with that. Now we can get into the games, Ralph. We can get into the games. Um, so we have some very, very intriguing. Oh, excuse me. We have some very, very intriguing games this weekend. So we do have a game on ABC, a game on Fox Sports, and two games on Pac-12 Network. Only four games again this weekend. It is... <laughs> extremely interesting. The most interesting game of the week this weekend is the Washington Huskies at Oregon State. They have to travel to Salad Bowl Stadium, Research Stadium in Corvallis. Washington is reeling. They have lost back-to-back games. Obviously, they are the top 10 teams, Oregon and Utah. But they've fallen apart. 
They're sitting at five and four. Confidence can't be very high. And I and and Oregon State has been playing very, very well. They are second in the Pac-12 North. Unbelievably. They're sitting at four and four. Maybe going to a bowl game. I can see a scenario where there is an upset here, Ralph. I don't but state your case. Maybe you can talk me into it. I, I, I currently do not see a, a path for Oregon State to beat Washington. I think that the, you know, the office is the big whiz head, you know, and the defense behind the curtain. You know, I, I think that the, the, the success is a little bit of, of an illusion because any – oh, <clears throat> I wonder why this is happening. Um, hold on. Let me close a couple of windows and see if that's the case. Ralph, you're breaking up too bad again. You're All right, breaking, can you hear me? breaking up too bad again. Okay. Um, I, I mean, you would have to state your case, George, uh, because I don't see it. I, I think that, you know, it's yeah, like a Wizard of Oz type situation where, you know, the big giant head is the, is the offense, you know, but the, the man behind the curtain is, is that, that defense that hasn't really been able to stop anybody. If you can get two or three stops in one half against Oregon State, you can build up a couple of touchdown lead. Then you can turn them into a one-dimensional offense, pin your ears back, and go after Jake Luton. Um, there are just not enough teams in this conference that defensively have the ability to stop Oregon State. I think that Washington has that ability. So I don't, I don't see Oregon State as a threat to Washington. I, if, if they are, it's going to be an issue. Maybe I'll be jumping on Reddit and joining some of those, um, some of those posters, <laughs> being upset with Chris Peterson. But I, I, to me, this feels like a two-touchdown Washington win. Um, I, I, I do not see a path for, for Oregon State to be, uh, to be upsetting Washington in this game. Artavius Pierce rushed for 114 yards the last game. I, I would agree with you. I do think Washington wins this game. But I can see a scenario where their morale is down. Mind you, Washington has outscored opponents 103 to 13 in the first quarter. That includes Oregon and, and uh, Utah. So I do agree that Washington can jump up, but they're playing on the road. They're five and four. Morale is going to be naturally down a little bit because remember, fans thought that yeah. this team was could be a college football playoff team and was for sure going to win the conference with Jacob Eason that has not materialized. And, and that means that players believe that as well. So when you start getting that sort of thing to happen and then Oregon state's confidence is on max, they're looking at this like, hold up. We can make a bowl game. We have four games to play. We can make a bowl game. And, and, we may be able to spoil somebody else's life. So you got uh, Artavius Pierce, Jamar Jefferson, both went over 100 yards last, last game. We both know how we feel about Isaiah Hodgins, who even against Utah was having a good game. He just, they, they just stopped throwing, throwing the ball, took him out of the game, all of that stuff. Because he had a good first, first half. They scored 56 points against Arizona, but Arizona's defense is horrible. 
Washington's secondary is extremely young. Their their tackles haven't been playing all that great. Uh, you 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 have Hamilcar Rashad, who's leading the conference in sacks, I think, with twelve or twelve and a half. So that's the dangerous thing. Jacob Eason likes to just continue to drop back instead of step up in the pocket. Did you, you see Tech do that? Did uh, you used to play Tech Mobile when you were younger? Yes. Yeah. You know I, how to, yeah. he takes Tecmo Bowl drops where the quarterback yep. just drops back forever and ever and ever, and they can throw it as far as he wants to. That's what yeah. Jacob Eason does. Or Madden 2004 Michael Vick drops because his throwing arm was a 99 and he could outrun everybody, you know, so you could just drop him back 20 yards to throw a five yard screen pass. You can't do that against Hamilcar. You cannot. He, he's just a different level of athlete as a pass rusher he you can't do that you have to be disciplined you have to step up in the pocket don't get yourself hurt because that's a backing up like that your momentum's already carrying you backwards as somebody gets a hold of you like there's a reason kevin cobb's nfl career did not last because he was a talented quarterback who you know he managed to get himself hurt a couple of times um that that to me is the one big danger uh, is is Jacob Eason putting himself in a position to not be able to finish the game because he doesn't trust the system that has been in place in football for as long as the forward pass has been there, that the pocket forms around you and you need to step up and make a play instead of trying to you know be a hero and do it all on your own. Um, other than that, I mean, maybe they don't even throw the ball at all. Just run the ball all over this Oregon State defense. Um, and, you know, Oregon State's offense is really good, and you can't let them hang around. Uh, but this is still, you know, they have a common opponent, right, in Hawaii. Um, I think that you draw from that and realize that what you did to beat the Tar out of Hawaii, you can also employ to beat the Tar out of Oregon State. Yeah. Uh, this feels so weird to me. I mean, I Washington, it, it, it's like the Pac-12 power rankings when we talked about this week that we have to stop wanting teams to be good because um <laughs> I was looking at Ryan Leaf put out his Pac-12 top 12. He had Washington State 3, Washington 4. And I asked him straight up. I was like, "How does this make make sense? You have a team that's 1 and 4 in the conference and a team that's 2 and 4 in the conference at number three and number four in the Pac-12 power rank is how is this even possible? He was like, you're probably right. I mean, because we want them to be better. Yep. We want them to be better than they, than they are. So with that being said, this is the same case here. Oregon state's trending in the right direction, trending in the right direction. Chris Peterson's team. um, Yes. They have a bunch of talented players, they are uh they may get Puka Nuka back. Um uh Andre Bocelli has been doing a better better job. You have, you know, some of their young guys are showing up, not just not just, you know, Aaron Fuller, who's a senior. They got Terrell Bynum who's been showing up. The running backs have been nowhere to be found really the last couple couple weeks. But I, I just don't see it, Ralph. I, I just don't see dominance out of this team. Obviously, I think that they're well they're well coached. 
they just maybe this is a year where they're just short on talent. I, I don't know what else to say. Uh, it's possible. I mean, it, yeah, they, they've graduated a lot of really, really good players, but they've been reloading, you know, and so it's time for it's time for some of those players to step up. I think what they're missing is, you know, a couple of game breaking athletes. Um, I, you know, next year we'll see how early Sam Adams Jr. is ready to make a contribution as a, as a running back. You know, they need somebody who can um, they need somebody who can kind of be a, a, a little more of a game breaker back there than what they've had. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, then there's that whole thing of how teams play after now I'm talking myself into <laughs> saying that Oregon state's going to be a threat, but, but teams the week after they play Utah tend to be a little beat up. So, you know, Oregon state's got that. Yeah, and Washington, even though they had a bye week they played Oregon super physical game. Off week, then you come back and play Utah, and then those bruises that were starting to heal get rebruised up, <laughs> including the <laughs> the ego. Um, so right right now, uh, people have uh, the uh, the Pac twelve bowl games go into order: Rose Bowl, Alamo Bowl, Holiday, Red Box, Sun Bowl, Las Vegas Bowl, Cheez It Bowl, and then an at large bowl for a team who is six and six. So provided, let's just say Oregon does not make the college football playoff or Utah does does not, then one of those two teams will go to the Rolls, the other one will go to the Alamo Bowl. And a lot of people are picking Washington to win their last three games and end up in the Holiday Bowl. Do you think this is possible or do you think that they will end up in the Red Box Bowl? Because people have UCLA picked to go to a bowl game. So, mm. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I, I, Washington's at that point where like, where if you, if your only option is the red box bowl, like maybe you want to turn it down. <laughs> like you, you, you don't want it messing with your overall brand and, and, and what your reputation is. Um, but yeah, I think the holiday bowl is, is, is within reason. I think Washington fans would really dig that. Yeah, <laughs> Washington fans would not dig being in the Red Box Bowl. Oregon, I mean, no, I mean, I mean, I mean, being able to go oh, to yeah. San Diego to the Holiday Bowl, I, yeah, they would not. I don't think they'd be happy to be playing. Isn't the, isn't the Red Box Bowl? Isn't that's that in the in Bay the, Area, or that that's the game that Oregon played yeah. in last year against Michigan State, seven to six, seven to six. That, that's very <laughs> Red Box Bowling. Yeah, um, they have. USC in the Sun Bowl, Stanford in the Las Vegas Bowl, uh, the Cheez-It Bowl with Arizona State, and then Washington State going at large. See, here is the problem with this I, I, I see. Here, re, remember when the guy put out the Pac-12 mock sim, simulation with every team finishing 5-4 and four or 4-5 and five in the conference? That's where... Yeah, yeah, that was well, me last year. We're, uh, if you take out Oregon and Utah, that's where we're at right now. You have Oregon State, who's four and four and two and three. Colorado, three and six, one and five. If they win a game, Cal, four and four. Uh, Arizona, f- uh, four and five. Washington State, four and four. Arizona State, five and three. 
Stanford four and four, USC five and four, UCLA four and five, Washington five and four. Dude, you could have every team in the conference friend and finish six and six, basically, except for Utah and Oregon. That would be the most incredible thing ever that the Pac 12 has uh, 10 bowl eligible teams, all of them six and six. Yeah, that would not be incredible because we'd be uh, complaining about how there's just like rampant mediocrity and Larry Scott would be like, 10 bowls. <laughs> just like he did. Just like he did when nine nine teams made a bowl and and only one of them won a game. And he said, it's not whether you win or lose. It's like getting to the bowl. That's the point. You know, yeah. <laughs> that was... That was like the worst spin of all time, but like, yeah, it, that would just give him another reason to. Celebrate. Yeah, it's not whether you win or win or lose; it's how you play the game. <laughs> yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, okay. Let me know how that works out for you, buddy. Um, Cal, I'm sorry, Stanford goes to Colorado. Okay, Colorado's already one and zero this week. How? Oh yeah, Colorado. Yeah, go on, tell them they already go, got there. Go win, ahead and man. tell them, bro. Antonio. Antonio Alfano rivals number five player in the class of 2019, the number one defensive tackle in the nation out of New Jersey. He spent a couple of months at Alabama before deciding it wasn't the right fit for him. Mel Tucker managed to uh, earn his commitment. He'll be enrolling in January, and all of a sudden, you have a five-star defensive tackle who's going to be playing in Boulder. Um, so what a huge surprise, what a giant recruiting win, uh, for Mel Tucker, you know, I, so I, I think that they're already, uh, the, the fan base will excuse them losing to Stanford this week because that they already got about as a big, a big of a win as they could possibly have, which is two weeks in a row of pulling a, a, a really talented recruit, um, to Boulder, maybe something special. Yeah. And then he got Brendan, Brendan Rice to commit and, and here's, I, I've noticed this with recruits they either go one of two directions they either go and follow they either go to a team that is winning and being dominant and has a ton of momentum or a team where they're like hold up this roster is super thin i can get on the field asap because i'm better than whoever they they have there and i think that that's the mel tucker effect that that's going on right now players see opportunity they're like, listen, I think he's going to be a really good coach. I can go there and play right now and dominate again while all the rest of these yahoos are going to, you know, Oregon, USC, uh, where wherever, and having to sit behind people and all deep on the depth chart. Yeah, it's one of those situations like, you mean to tell me I could have an SEC coach without an SEC environment like without all of the madness and all of the pressure sign me up like I, you know I'll, I'll go play for mel tucker in boulder colorado why not and that's uh i don't know I, I you know i i'm not somebody who uh got a chance to see alfano play at the high school level i get to, i usually get to see most of these kids in action at different rivals camps all over the country um but you know this is somebody who the staff believed in enough to jump up 17 spots in their last uh, rankings that they did for the 2019 class. He was somebody that was ranked in the mid twenties and they bumped him all the way up to the number five recruit in the whole country. Number one defensive tackle. 
Um, and so somebody believes in him. Somebody believes that he's got a ton of talent. Uh, and, you know, I think that a 24 seven might've had him as the number one recruit in the whole country, regardless of position. So this is huge. Like make no mistake. This is, this is enormous um, for Colorado. Maybe, maybe that gives him a little juice going into this weekend. What do you think? Uh, it, I mean, I guess it, it, it might, but this is a team that's, that everybody has as the worst team in the Pac-12 right now. They are spiraling in the wrong direction in terms of... Did you see somebody tweeted that in the last three years after their Arizona State game, they're a total of 0-14? Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, okay, okay. They have yet to win after playing Arizona State the last three years. Think about this. They are oh, they went 0-7 after starting 5-0 and last year. This year, they may lose eight straight games. Eight straight games. We thought the 0-7 <laughs> was bad last year. They may lose eight straight games this year. That would be atrocious. In, in scoring defense, the only team worse than them is, is Arizona right now. They're giving up. 34 and a half points a game. Their rush defense is they're giving up 164 yards a game. Their total defense, second worst in the conference, only by one yard is Arizona worse. This is not a football team. It's weird because in a lot of the stat categories, aside from past defense, which they're dead last, they are... The, the this Colorado team is really just like they are middle of the road. They're middle of the road passing the ball, middle of the road kind of in some defensive categories, total offense. They're a middling team, but they are when you add up the sum total of all that middle and a couple bottoms, it puts them dead, dead last. And I'm wondering if it's effort. They don't know how to win. And I think that Mel Tucker has to get new guys in because these guys, even though that, that yes, they have some, some talent at positions, truth be told, they're just not as competitive in terms of the whole team. You add them all up. They're not as competitive as you need a team to be. Yeah, and I, part of it, I think, is they were recruiting well in certain pockets. Like, they'd get, like, four or five really good players from Texas in the Mike McIntyre era, era and then try to fill in the rest with just, you know, um, some some two, three-star talent from around Colorado, maybe California or Nevada or whatever. You know, they they, um, they, they weren't even recruiting Arizona all that much, and it's right there. Like, they, you know, they would get, like, they, they would get a couple of really good pieces, um, but offensive and defensive line was a struggle for them, you know. They landed a couple of decent tight ends, but they still haven't used the tight end in years for some reason. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, it's it, you know, I think that they were trying to build from the outside in, get some talented skill position players, and then everything else will, you know, will, will come along. But that's not football, and it never will be, you know, until we have seven-on-seven seven replace football completely. You're going to need people on the offensive and defensive line to anchor what it is you're trying to do. And I think I think Mel Tucker knows that. And I think that they're going about this a little bit different. And uh, and they got a huge piece to the puzzle in Antonio Alfano. Um, but, yeah, are they equipped to beat Stanford if Stanford is healthy at the quarterback position? No. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah, Stanford has been to 10 straight bowl games. You could actually pencil – 
David Shaw in for nine wins a season. He's not going to get to nine. Well, he might get to nine win if if he w- wins out th- this year. But he's got at Colorado, at Washington State, Notre Dame, um, Cal, and then Notre Dame to finish the season. So I'm sitting there like, okay, like what does this mean for like is is there any way that Cal misses? I'm sorry that Stanford misses a bowl game with that schedule left. I don't know, but I don't know if this team deserves to go to have fun in Vegas. <laughs> I don't know if they deserve that reward. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, I mean, they'll, they'll probably get the same amount of fans. To... Okay, yeah. Will 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 Cameron Scarlett go for over a hundred yards in this game? Yes. Barely. Okay. Barely. Okay. Okay. Oh, oh, we didn't we, we didn't even cl- clarify. Who are you picking in the Washington Oregon State game? Oh, Washington in a, by at least two touchdown win. Oh God, I'm yeah. I'm picking the Beavers with an upset. Oh, dang. Okay. Yeah. I All think right. Why, you're you're going to look like a genius if it happens. Yeah, I, I think that what Washington is the better team, but they're headed in the wrong direction right now, and I think this could this has trap game written all over it. Okay, who are you picking? Stanford, Colorado. I'm picking Stanford. I don't. I I think that picking Colorado for the rest of the season it, it would be a sign of um, mental illness. Like they just haven't stopped anybody. Um, I don't think they're going to start now. And even when you get good Montez, they're losing. Like I love good Montez. Like he he puts up NFL numbers um, a, within an NFL body. But you know, then you get games like last week where he just ugh. So, uh, you know, I, I just I, – I don't think that Stanford um, – I don't think there's any way Stanford loses this game. So, I'm, I'm going with the Cardinal. I totally agree with you. Uh, I can't see a situation aside from injury to K.J. Costello, which could happen, <laughs> um, that they lose this game. Um, yeah, so I want Mel Tucker to do well. I think it's good for the conference when there is – you know when the teams are respected, even if they're even if they're losing. Uh, next game up, I, I guess you can call this the tarmac game because <laughs> USC. So the last time USC had a coach who got fired, Lane Kiffin, it was well actually no because Sark Sark got fired in in between. But but Sark was drunk at the Arizona State game, so that. Oh, that contributed. <laughs> That's very true. So Arizona State has been the has been the the straw that broke the camel's back for the last what three years? The last three USC coaches, including uh, Lane Kiffin, who got fired on the tarmac, who didn't even get to ride the the team bus back home. Um. So, what do you do? I mean, USC clearly has a talented roster. They're headed. They don't know who the AD is going to be. There is so much. I, I don't even know how you play in this environment because Clay Helton's clearly because he's a try hard guy. He's not going to quit. He's a fighter. You got to give him that. But how much fight can his team have left after the the clubbing Oregon put on him? After all the rumors about Clay Helton's job, I mean, how do you function in this? It, it's toxic. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, this is. I mean, I know that Arizona State is relishing the opportunity to 
to free USC from their burden another time. Um, I don't know if it happens like that because it, it's one of those things where well, then if you're going to fire him without an AD in place, why would you not have just already done it? Um, but it's possible. I mean, that second half against Oregon, that's not what you want to see if, if, you're, if you're a USC fan um, ever, right? And, and if that happens against uh, if that happens against Oregon State, or if that happens against Arizona State, I apologize, and it happens back-to-back weeks, I mean, I think you have to make a move because you risk the players just sort of outright quitting. You risk decommitments from the players that are already, you know, even though there's not a lot of players that have committed to them that have a ton of other options because that's how far USC has fallen in the recruiting game, at least in the last, you know, 12 to 14 months. Um, I, would you, would you fight if, if Arizona state wins this game by double digits, would you fire him regardless of your athletic department situation? Uh, who can fire him is the question. Right. What a weird bird. <laughs> like who, who actually um, has I the would not, power I mean, to I, fire, I, fire I think, him? Yeah, I think they're, they're screwed. They're screwed. They're screwed. Right. So if they lose this game, you still have December signing day is coming up yep. in like what four weeks. You're you you're not going to be able to salvage that. So you have to like eat a messed up early signing day for the for the 2020 class. And and pickings are slim. You might as well dude. just keep him on. Pickings are slim. Yeah. Uh, after the early signing Agreed. signing day, like aside from a couple big name kids, I mean U- USC didn't sign a five star last year for the first time in for forever, and then they got Brew McCoy to transfer in. So I guess that salvaged that. But this this year, they're not looking like they're going to be able to sign any five stars. Uh, but Arizona State on the other end, um, I talked about it in the Pac-12 Power Rankings on Unafraid Joe, that they look like a team that hit the rookie wall, the college version of the rookie wall. So in col- in the pros, the rookie wall is when teams, when, when young players, particularly rookies, who haven't played as many games, because think, think about it, you only play 12 weeks in 12 games in college. You have two bye weeks usually throughout the season. NFL, there is four preseason games, 12 games, and you get one bye week. So by the time you've played eight games in the NFL, you have already played an entire college season and you still got eight more games to go plus potentially playoffs. So that's where rookies usually hit the wall. And Arizona State hit that wall because they're playing a ton of freshmen. And now, after a week off, I think Herm is going to have those guys refreshed. Their minds are going to be better. And this is going to be a dangerous game. This is a timing thing for USC. And timing is not good. Uh, Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it's an intriguing game. I'll I'll give you that. One thing that Arizona State struggles with is accurate quarterbacks. You're probably not going to find a more accurate passer than Keaton Slovis. Um, It's a... What what happened to those D, DBs you were talking about, Ralph? Well, um, the defensive line happened to them. You can you can cover someone for six seconds, but you get to second number seven. What are you going to do? And I think that that's the burden of any defensive back anywhere. Uh, you know, the defensive line just isn't getting a ton of pressure. They've they've feasted on quarterbacks who aren't necessarily known for 
their accuracy, but then look at look what Dorian Tom, Thompson Robinson did against him. He's not an accurate quarterback, but he had all day. He had all day, and all of a sudden he looks like an NFL prospect. So, you know, it, it's it they're missing the one key element to make their defense truly good, which is the ability to get to the quarterback. The line, they they're they haven't really been blitzing their linebackers as much or as effectively as they did last year with Merlin Robertson. And, um, you know, he, he's kind of had a lull, like a sophomore slump a little bit. Um, here's what's interesting for me about this game, besides just the history of USC coaches getting fired after, you know, their encounters with Arizona State, is uh, USC traditionally comes into Sun Devil Stadium and beats the hell out of ASU. And they get it done early, like first half blowout and then, you know, just coast the rest of the game. ASU's done most of their damage against USC recently at the Coliseum. Um, the quarterback battle is very intriguing because Jaden Daniels, I think that if he thought, and uh, you know, I'm sure that there are people that will think I'm speaking out of turn on this, but trust me, I'm not. If Jaden Daniels thought that USC would have given him a fair shot as a quarterback, I think that he would have considered seriously considered USC seriously considered USC. Um, Keaton Slovis is from 15 miles from Arizona State University. And ASU went out to see him twice and didn't offer him. USC did. So now you have two true freshmen going against each other that could have very easily been wearing the opposite uniforms, um, but are not. So I think that that's intriguing um, for for this. Uh, You have obviously the most talented uh, receiving core in maybe all of college football going up against uh, two three-year starters at defensive back and a third defensive back who was a former USC Trojan in Jack Jones. I think that that's incredibly intriguing. Um, you have a team in USC that doesn't really run the ball versus a team that like has to run the ball to survive. Is Eno Benjamin, one of his last opportunities to play in front of the home crowd. Um because I'm 100% positive that he doesn't want to take the same beating that he got this year, next year. So he's probably going to be moving on. Um, and then, you, you know, you got Clay Helton's not even coaching for his job. He's just sort of in a lame duck position versus, uh, you know, versus Herm Edwards, who doesn't want to be sitting at five and five with a losing record in conference, you know, in the middle of his second season after all of that juice that came from, you know, HBO and the hot start to, to, to begin the season. Um, I think that this is an incredibly intriguing game. Uh, and um, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, I am interested in this game as well. I, on one, on one hand, USC is the more, the, the more talented team. Yes. I am, I am confused about how I feel about Keaton, Keaton Slovis at this point. He threw the ball 57 times against Oregon, which is, which is, you know, if you have the confidence to throw the ball 57 times, mind you, 40 of them were in the first half, then, okay, then you can be a guy. That was the first time they looked like an air raid team. Like, and they still didn't look like an air raid team. But that was the first time that you, you saw a little bit of that Graham Harrell stuff really come into play. Yeah, it it was, but it wasn't very effective. I know that Oregon is a top ten. I know that Oregon is a top 10, 10 team. But at the end of the day, though, like when you pass for what under 
like nine yards a nine yards per reception and you throw and the three interceptions were just bad one one of them went off a guy guy's hands off of kind of an errant throw and then the one to brady breeze was just that was a gimme like he just could have walked in the in the end zone after yeah and yeah it it they just weren't very pretty at all you know so you're looking at him he had a a, a 4.6 average per reception yeah, per reception yeah that means that it's even lower per per attempt so i mm, so he's a freshman he's a freshman like that's what people got to remember are you he's sold only, on him are you sold on him yeah i am because not only is he a freshman uh, and i i want to remind you he played against one defense in all of high school one defense that had division one players on it one so he played against Keely Ringo. Sounds like so Panay like Sewell, that, that dude. Sounds like Panay Sewell. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then look what he's doing as a freshman in in the Pac-12. Like there are flashes from him where you say like, "Oh my God, this is really a guy," you know. And how many people can you say that about as a as a freshman? You know, um, at, at quarterback, that's really really tough. You know, mo- most of the time. You need a couple of years to to get in into the mix, and I know that quarterbacks this day and age are just different because they got private training for you know who knows how long. But you still like it's still different when you're having to read a college defense and when you got guys like Lecky Fotu, you know, crushing you in the backfield and stuff like that. I, I do have confidence in Keaton Slovis. I think that he has proven already that he is a legitimate uh, threat at the quarterback position, is he going to be the best quarterback on campus? Um, you know, I think next year we'll, we'll see, we'll see, you know, how they go about, you know, organizing that competition and, and, and all that. But, um, you know, I, I think that it, at the end of this game, at the end of this USC ASU game, I think it'll be fair to start making judgments on who has the better future, uh, him or Jaden Daniels. Because I, it just came out that Jaden Daniels has had to scramble more than any quarterback in all of college football. He's taken off running sixty-five times uh, this year. Which well, uh, well, well if line. if he doesn't take off sixty-five times, they don't win. That's just the truth. They right. they might be uh, they might be defeated right now if he doesn't take off running that much. The last game up in the Pac-12 this week. Well, who's your who are you picking? Who are you picking? Oh Lord, I'm I'm picking. Ah, this is so tough. I think USC has one last stand for Clay Helton, I think. Okay, I'm with you. Uh, I'm with you. uh, Yeah, yeah, because the the last few games from Arizona State have given me zero confidence. I I know they're coming off a bye, but uh, I, I have zero confidence from what I've seen the last few weeks. It'd be impressive if they won. Yes, I'm, even with all the distractions that, because it would it, it would they'd be bowl eligible, they'd be uh, it would be the second time in two years. Um, it it would be very very helpful for ASU trying to finish out their recruiting class, which is almost full anyway. To especially with the you know trying to get an advantage in California with all that uncertainty that's going on with USC for the 2021 class. 
This is this game is so important to ASU, but I just don't know if they have what it takes. USC's roster is outside of Keaton Slovis. USC's entire roster is literally players who who had ASU as their safety school. USC's entire roster is like Lori Laughlin's daughters. <laughs> That's funny. The, 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 every single one of them. It's true though. It's true. Ma- Almost every USC player is like, man, if I can't get into USC, if there's not room for me in this recruiting class, I'm going to go have a kick-ass time for five years at ASU. Like that, And that's been true for like a decade, and ASU fans are getting absolutely sick to death of it. Like Drake Jackson is probably one of the best young defensive linemen in the country, and he wanted to go to US or he wanted to go to ASU. You know, he just wanted to go to ASU and his dad was like, it's, it's about, it's all about USC. Like that's where you need to be. And he, at the last minute, he decided to make his dad proud and now he's out killing it for USC and ASU fans are just, they're sick to death of, you know, and then you get the players that couldn't academically qualify or whatever at USC that, that end up as ASU Sun Devils, like the Vontez Burfects and, and stuff like that. The ASU will, you know, well, maybe not Vontez, but. ASU is always thankful when they get that opportunity. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it, that's, it's always been sort of the dynamic between ASU and, and USC is that USC is full of players who would have ended up at Arizona state if there wasn't room for them in the, in the recruiting class. Isaiah Polamau is one of them, you know, it's it, and so um, it, it's one of those things where ASU sick of being the little brother and they need this win, but I'm just not sure they match up very well. Yeah. I totally agree with you there. The last game up on the Pac-12 slate is the Washington State Cougs, who may be out of a head coach soon, and Cal, who is <laughs> who, who has a quarterback problem still. Um, but I did hear through the grapevine that Cal had a come to Jesus meeting with their with their defense because they didn't feel like that they performed very well against Utah in terms of toughness and the mentality that they love to show. So I think the Cal defense against Washington State puts up a much better performance, much better. They are going to slow Washington State down. They're going to slow this air raid down. Anthony Gordon is going to be looking like he's stuck in mud. This is going to be a a smothering defensive performance. But Washington State's still going to win here. Is it? <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for that, but. <laughs> but Washington State is still going to win. Th- th- they may win 19-0, 19-7. Is it? So are, is uh, I believe back? he is back. I know Garbers is still out for a little bit. My uh, Garbers might make it back for the last two games against Stanford and UCLA, maybe. Okay. Um, I, I don't think they'll get – I do think that, that we saw positive strides from Modster. I think we saw the game slow down for him a little bit, and I, I don't trust Washington State's defense to shut out anybody. Um, I do like Washington State in this game. I'm super intrigued by it because this is, you know, th- this is a great offensive scheme against, you know, uh, players that you've been praising all year long as being, you know, some of the most talented defensive backs out there. So – uh, you know, and we we watched what Anthony Gordon did against Arizona State. You and I had a huge argument about that. Um, you know, we we watched what Washington State did against uh, Oregon. That you know they're they they they're gonna get theirs, and if they don't, 
then the debate will be settled, right? If they don't, if they don't, if why, if Oregon, if uh, oh my God, if Washington State doesn't go out and and throw for 400 yards against Cal, then it's debate over. We know who the best defensive backs, we know who the best defensive backs coach, we know who the best defensive coordinator, we know all that, right? So uh, this is probably the game that I'm most I'm most intrigued in, just because it's going to settle the most uh, uh, of our talking points and debate points from throughout the year. Um, but yeah, there's no way, no way Cal gets shut out. Um, you know, they, they even defensively, maybe they score a touchdown or two, but I do like Washington state in just their sort of offensive relentlessness to kind of get it done. Um, and maybe pull away in the fourth quarter. Uh, yeah. It, Cal just can't score enough points to win this game. Like there's just not a scenario where they can score enough points to win win this game is unfortunate, but these are the realities of the situation. They just don't have enough firepower offensively. And yes, Washington State's defense is leaky, but they're not leaky in I mean they they are leaky in the past defense, I guess, which which they can't do. Uh and in their run defense, they are Oh, well, their rush defense is last in the conference, 193 yards a game. So I guess, Cal, if they can get something going on the ground, but if you're Washington State, you you do you sell out to stop the run. You sell out to stop the run and double-dog dare them to throw it over your head. That's where you're at right now. And I think Cal's in kind of a cool position where, like, most college football teams are, you know, you got to win now, you got to win now, you got to win now. I think that Cal fans and the administration understand that they're building something and that they have a huge infusion of offensive talent coming in, in this next recruiting class, their current recruiting class that are all freshmen there right now have, have some talent. And I think that the expect, the high expectations have to be put on them for next year. This is just sort of a, this is like a preview of like, uh, this is troubleshooting. 2019 is a troubleshooting year for Cal to go out there, figure what's wrong and make sure that it's all in place to make a run next year. Well, well they um, made a bowl game this year had Garbers not gotten, gotten hurt. They were four and zero. I refuse yeah. to believe that they would not have won two more games had Garbers not been, been hurt. Yeah. You just never want to be completely, you know, they want, they want to be USC. They want to be able to lose a quarterback and still be able to win you know, three or four games with your, with your backup, even win a game with your third string if you need to. And they're just not at that level yet, but they're recruiting their way into it. I would agree with that. So who are you picking in this game? I, I have Washington state winning, winning late. Um, it'd be cool to see Cal get a win. I mean, I'm there not rooting no against chance, Washington bro. state or anything just, like just that. Forget um, about it. There's no chance. <laughs> Washington State could could score 14 points and win this game. That's how bad Cal's offense is. Yeah, so this is not going to be a shootout uh, unless they double dog their Cal to throw it over the top and they get some, you know, some big touchdown passes or something. Yeah, that's the only chance. Yeah, so sorry. Even even though even though Arizona State dropped in the mid mid thirties against Washington State, you really don't. Arizona think State has Jaden Daniels at quarterback who can run and throw. Uh, um, a, a, a yeah. nuke went crazy that game. Broke tackles. All they don't have that at Cal. They don't have a no Benjamin. 
<laughs> you know, uh, uh, Christopher's a good good back. Um, well, Christopher Brown, good good back, but he's not in no Benjamin. I, you have to compare apples to apples, Ralph. You're you're comparing, you know, plum plums to water. Okay, so but even at but fourteen points. That so now that's what I'm watching for. I'm gonna see if you if this offense can score more than fourteen. If they can score more than fourteen points against Washington State, Washington State is the worst defense in the Pac-12, <laughs> even worse than Colorado's. <laughs> So that's the truth. <laughs> you guys, thank you guys for joining us for the Pac-12 Apostles. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Um, you guys make sure you guys share the feed, tell a friend about the Pac-12 Apostles, and you guys send us an email if you want to. I'm mad at unafraidshow.com, and uh, we, we we will see if we can get Ralph to finally pull the projections and the, and the standings back together because I think he's avoiding them for a reason. You know, I think we're we're both in pretty good position. I just I I, I don't like I don't like to think uh, I, I don't like to think back. I just like to be hopeful for the future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because he knows I'm uh, I'm spiking the football super hard. Uh, you you, that is the big guys... difference between us. Yeah, that is you. You will if you if you if I beat you if I go six and zero oh and you go zero oh and six, I'll be like, oh, you'll get him next time, George. If you go four and three and I go three and four, you're like, ah, you're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, bro. I am Spike the football guy. It is in my DNA. I cannot help it. <laughs> you guys, peace out. Catch you guys later. <laughs>